I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Friday, June 17th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance and tech, all in seven minutes. Brett, the world of business, maybe a little bit of finance, maybe a little bit of tech, but also sports may be coming to Toronto in the form of the World Cup at some time in the future. Does that excite you? You're a big World Cup fan. Well, yeah, I'm excited. I think so. I've heard these are just rumors. This is all speculation, Jay, but I've heard that Vancouver is going to get six games and Toronto will get four games. I can't tell you who the source is, but that's what I've heard. So that's great. I think it's exciting. It's odd to me that Vancouver would get so many games, but they've got BC Place, which is a huge stadium, and we just don't have that size at BMO Field. So I think that was the big issue. But I think BMO Field would get bigger in this scenario. At least that's what I read, or maybe your source told you when you told me. Either way, that's pretty exciting. We're talking 2026. I don't know. What year are we talking? Yeah, I guess it would be 2026. And I think it goes back to the summer. I know it does go back to the summer because it's in the winter this year because they made a, uh, an exemption for Qatar. One thing I did read, though, as you know, I was interested or I'm still interested in going to the Qatar World Cup to see Canada play. But they're not actually housing a ton of people in Qatar. They're encouraging you to stay in like Dubai and in Kuwait and in Bahrain and to fly in. So they're running hundreds of short flights from all these places to get people in for the games, which actually makes it seem a lot less fun. So I'm still on the fence of whether I want to take all these flights in and out of Qatar to go see Canada play. But who knows? Never say never. Never say never. That does sound like a challenge. But aside from the challenge of getting to World Cup games in Qatar, what do we have for Peak Pals today? For our first story, money laundering is a big deal in Canada. For our second story, the Senate is going to delay the government streaming legislation. And for our third story, Musk finally talks to Twitter employees. For our first story, how do criminals clean their dirty money in Canada? Well, by handing hockey bags full of illicit $20 bills to gamblers and letting them loose on Vancouver's casino floors, of course. So, Brett, you are the Canadian Marty Bird. Tell us more. I don't know what that means, but we will just we'll drive through it. A new government report on money laundering in BC revealed that billions of dollars of criminal funds have flowed through casinos, real estate, luxury goods every year. And this is reported by the New York Times. In the absence of effective federal law enforcement, British Columbia, specifically the Vancouver area, has earned a reputation as a snow washing haven. I guess that's money laundering in the north, which refers to cleaning illegal cash here in Canada. I guess with the new polymer bills, they would survive the snow. And so you're probably wondering how we ended up in this situation. I know I am. The province's government started an inquiry in 2019 after a series of reports sounded alarm bells about money laundering across real estate, casino, horse racing, and luxury car sectors, in part fueled by the illegal drug trade. One 2019 report estimated that up to $5.3 billion of laundered funds flowed through BC real estate alone in 2018, inflating housing prices by as much as 7.5%. And a U.S. government report released shortly after, also added that Canada is on now a list of about 80 major money laundering countries with weak law enforcement and gaps in its laws. Perfect. The new report laid partial blame at the feet of several of BC's former gaming ministers who, quote unquote, could have done more, I guess so, along with the RCMP's lack of attention to the issue. And Jay, I don't want to get us in trouble. I don't want to wake up with a, you know, a horse's head beside me. And so I'm not going to name any names. But what do you think the big takeaway from all of this money laundering this money laundering report is. I love could have done more. That's like the version of mistakes were made. Yeah. Well, sophisticated money launderers have signaled out BC as a place they won't get caught. As the country's third largest province by GDP, billions in unchecked funds annually not only destabilize the economy for Westerners, but affect the whole country. 
Now, already the BC government has tightened the rules at casinos and launched a public land ownership registry requiring certain real estate holders to disclose their owners. This probably ties into the housing crisis too, because it could be inflating, money laundering could be inflating the prices of houses in the lower mainland. For our second story, as the government attempts to very quickly pass laws that force digital streamers to follow Canadian content rules, the Senate has made it very clear they're going to take their sweet, sweet time reviewing them. What's up with this new streaming law anyways, Jay? Oh, I'm sorry. I was taking my sweet, sweet time. Well, the Online Streaming Act, also known as BC-11, has been the target of criticism over claims it limits free speech and places modern services under the same rules as traditional channels with comparisons to placing a square peg in a round hole. Now, that was a dad joke, Jay. A+. Now, under the proposed laws, the Canadian Radio, Television, and Telecommunications Commission, the CRTC, would enforce streaming platforms to use Canadian actors, contribute to Canadian media funds, and promote Canadian content. Platforms like YouTube and Spotify warn the laws could hurt Canadian creators if their content isn't deemed Canadian enough by the CRTC guidelines. Now, Netflix said titles they solely fund, no matter the number of Canadians on set, will never meet content requirements. That's not great. You know what, though, Jay? Would we meet the content requirements? I'm not even sure. It'd be great to find out if we do. Yeah. We're in business. Yeah. Yeah. By this week, the House of Commons came up with over 150 amendments to the law to discuss and debate before a vote. But their time was cut short by a 9 p.m. deadline that critics feel was unnecessarily imposed. They could have gotten at least midnight. The government imposed the deadline to stop certain MPs from stalling the bill's progress, but it meant that they were first to vote on amendments without discussion. Well, they had it at night, so they go home and watch Netflix. Yeah. Now, the Senate Committee on Transport and Communications will review the bill before it's turned to the entire Senate, with the committee's chair assuring it that will not rush its review. Okay, so now that we're cut up, why should PayPal's care about Bill C-11, Brett? Well, with supports from the Liberals, the NDP, and the Bloc Québécois, a version of Bill C-11 is likely to pass sometime this year. But even if a bill is a sure thing, government representatives should still ensure it goes through the proper review process. And for our third and final story, Twitter employees got their first taste of what life might be like once Elon Musk is in charge as the platform's prospective new owner joined a staff all hands meeting yesterday. In true Musk fashion, he had a lot to say and presumably it wasn't in 140 characters. And so Brett, what did Elon say at the Twitter all hands? Well, you should look into it. He talked at one point about how he doesn't want Twitter to promote scammy products because he bought one through a YouTube ad and he didn't like it. Anyways, he also talked about the potential existence of aliens. He hasn't seen any evidence, by the way, but you know it's possible. Musk laid out his vision and goals for the company, including, Jay? Including 1 billion daily active users, which would be a quantum leap from Twitter's current about 230 million users, and put it at the top of the social media food chain. An app where people can tweet pretty outrageous things without the fear of being banned, as long as none of those things break the law. we got a lot of outrageous things to say, so it's a perfect platform for us. And taking stock of Twitter's workforce, meaning layoffs aren't ruled out and employees will need to come back to the office unless they are exceptional at their job. So if you're granted it, you don't have to show up. That ruffled quite a few feathers in Twitter's Slack channels, as I'm sure you can imagine. Musk did not reassure employees that the deal was still going through, however, which is concerning considering some severe signs of buyer's remorse we've seen over the last few weeks may still be intact. Well, plus it's not the best time to be a Musk-owned company. Tesla is reeling after a scathing report on its autopilot system causing shares to fall 9% yesterday, 
And SpaceX employees drafted an open letter calling Musk a source of distraction and embarrassment. That's kind of a compliment to him. And to summarize, there's still a huge amount of uncertainty ahead from one of the largest social media companies, from how employees will work to how the platform will run. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. And as always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And Brett, this is a good time to remind folks that The Peak is actually on Twitter. And it's a great Twitter handle. You should follow it. Oh, thanks, Jay. That's very kind of you to say. I think it's great, too. You should follow it. I do, and so should Pete Pals that listen to the podcast. Brett, have a good Friday. You too.